We are continuing our message series in 2 Peter. And again, we get the privilege to be included as readers of Peter's letter. As we continue to study his writing, we should be drawn in more deeply to his God-inspired truth that were needed to be heard then and no less now. Peter contended for the faith, the gospel message, that all is, is all the work of Jesus Christ and has backed up that truth with eyewitness accounts and the infallible word of God. But our scripture today tells of attacks on the truth in the past and right at the time of Peter's writing. It should be very obvious to us that false doctrine and false teachers are going to be around as long as this present age continues. I want to read to you some words that got my attention greatly this week as I was studying this message, and they are from R.C. Sproul's commentary on exactly 2 Peter chapter 2. We are living in perhaps the most anti-intellectual period in the history of Christendom. Not anti-academic or anti-scientific, but anti-mind. I doubt if there has ever been a time in the church history when professing Christians have been less concerned about doctrine than they are in our day. We almost hear daily that doctrine does not matter, that Christianity is a relationship, not a creed. There is not simply indifference toward the gospel, but outright hostility, which is exceedingly dangerous and lamentable. We cannot do even a cursory reading of God's word without seeing the enormous emphasis accorded to doctrine and that sound doctrine and false teaching are not merely errors and abstraction, but are profoundly destructive to the life of the people of God. And in the midst of that, again, I say there is not simply indifference toward doctrine, but outright hostility. Thinking of that, follow along as I read from God's word in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 through verse 10. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to change of chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of the righteous, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, 
He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds and the, that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. We begin our look as what Peter has told us, and we see the impact of false teachers. The impact of false teachers in verses 1 through, t- one through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Where does Peter say that the false teachers were? They were among the people. The threat to the church was not from the outside. It was within. It wasn't that government was oppressing them. It wasn't that there were other rival religions that were trying to overtake them from the outside. No, he's saying that the threat was from within the people in their midst. Now, what I don't want you to think is that you have to now be looking to the left and to the right and wondering if that person next to you is that false teacher. This isn't a time that we should be paranoid. It is to have us be engaged and watching for what should be coming from individuals, Christians, which is the truth and true conduct. But what it should tell us, as we as a congregation have come together and formed a search committee to look for a pastor to come in our midst, they should be diligent in their work and listening to the candidates, how they profess God's word, word and the truth of it. That's a great task. Continue to pray for them. We do not want to bring false teachers in our midst. But also, when have God's people been impacted by false prophets and false teachers? Peter says, in the past. We see this because he called them prophets. And we know in the Old Testament, prophecy was given those that would herald God's word to his people. And it was quite obvious from what we know about the Old Testament that God's people were being led astray by those that were not giving the true word of God to them. I heard Brother Gene's in his Sunday school class today, and you were teaching in what, Brother Gene? Amos and Obadiah. Amos and Obadiah. Those two books, again, prophets were warning of false teaching. My example today is the book of Jeremiah, where he was confronted with the same thing. And I would like to read from, from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. 
Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be faithful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missed, declares the Lord." God will remove those unfaithful shepherds. God will watch over his people and bring them back together and then again restore them with shepherds that will speak the truth of God's name. But later on in that same chapter, when the prophets continued not to speak his words, God's words, he said the reason for that was, in verse 27, to make my people forget my name. Again, out of this same commentary, I think R.C. Sproul had a great quote when he said, God is not just annoyed or mildly displeased about this, about this but is furious at false teachers because when the truth is distorted, it wreaks devastation and destruction in people's lives. But, people, but Peter also says that there were false teachers at that time, and we see that in the continuation of that same verse because he said, there will be false teachers among you. Now I know when I study and look at commentaries, and those great men that have taken the time to research God's word, they understand grammar better than I do. They understand and know different languages better. Better, I know none other than English, so I can't even put myself in the same category. But when it says here, will be, we think of that as a present tense. Well, we know from what we've already seen in Peter that the false prophets are there already, leading people astray. But I think the sense of what Peter is saying will be is they will continue on, not only from that time till whenever. I believe that he's warning those in the future that false teachers will be in the midst of God's people, up until till and, con and continuing on to the present day right now. And as long as the Lord tarries, in this world, I believe false prophets were getting the warning, will be among us. But what is their MO? I like that term. Method of operation. That's what the cops say. What is their MO? Comes from something when I looked at it. Modus operandi, I believe, is what it is in Latin. What is their MO? What are they using? It says heresies or heresy, plural or singular. There's really two explanations given for heresy or heresies. 
In the original language, this word heresy meant a sect or a group. One group inside of another group. My example would be probably the Sadducees were inside and part of the Jewish community. And what the Sadducees had as one of their wrong doctrines was that there was nothing past this life. That when we die, life is over. End of statement. That was coming from a sect but then it was one of their false teachings. And that's probably the other way that we understand what a heresy is. This group is promoting something that is false. So thinking of that, the heresies that we see today in this scripture affected the people. How, did they, how were they affected? I would like to give you an example. And I'd like to use a movie. A Few Good Men. Now a man that has instructed me over the years has said, any time that you use an example, whether it's a television show or a movie, something, you're giving your implied consent to that movie. I want to tell you that I've never seen this movie other than on TV. I looked at it to see that it is R-rated, so I'm not promoting R-rated movies. I've seen this on TV time and time again. And in thinking of that, I then know that is my example, I can use as an example because I'm not actually promoting it. And the language that has come about in it on TV probably isn't any worse than vocabulary that I've heard standing in line waiting for Coney Islands at Mr. Hot Dog. Now, if you didn't get it, that was an endorsement. Not only for Coney Islands, but for a place to get them. <laughs> but now thinking about the movie in it, a young naval officer is questioning a high-ranking Marine Corps officer, leading him down the road, trying to get him to say what he wants him to say. And that famous part in the movie where, where Tom Cruise is shaking his finger uh, at the officer, and he says, I want the truth. And the colonel answers back, you can't handle exactly, that's the right movie, but not that's not the line I'm looking for. <laughs> and if you're interested, that happens about 18 minutes before the end. So if you're watching on TV, you know that at that time, you, you're not going to miss it, because that's the biggest line in the movie. But what I want to go back to is before that, Lieutenant Caffey is trying to lead the, the uh, colonel down the road to get him to say what he wants. And he said, why did Santiago have to be transferred off of the island? And he says, because he was in danger. And Lieutenant Caffey says, grave danger? Colonel says, is there any other kind 
That's the point of heresy. That's the point that Peter is making. Look what he says. He says it's destructive heresy. There is no other kind, whether it's coming from a sect or whether it's coming from one of their false statements. They are destructive in the body of believers. There's no other kind of heresy. Are these people Christians? No. Peter tells us so in his description of them. They are denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. No true believer will ever face destruction because God calls them out of their sin and we are held to the day of judgment in the faith. True Christians will never fall away. But this text has been used by those that would deny the doctrine of the preservation, preservation of the saints. But this isn't what it says. They want to look at it and say, they deny the master who bought them. Who bought them? But they fail to see the part that says what has led them to destruction is because they may have made a statement of faith, but their actual actions, they have never been a true child of God because they have perverted the truth. And so they were not among those that God paid the penalty on the cross for. 1 John 2, verse 19 would say, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been, been of us, they would, have, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that none of them were of us. Folks, these are apostates. They are the ones that are perverting the truth of God's word. And again, I believe that R.C. Sproul does a better job of explaining this than I can. He said, the sin of apostasy or the falling away is something that a pagan can never do because a pagan has never made an affirmation of faith in the first place. No true believer can commit apostasy. But apostasy, apostasy happens in the church every day among those who claim to have faith but then repudiate it like Demas who abandoned Paul when Paul was in prison. And the reference for that is from 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. These are the ones that are speaking the false truths. Will they, the false prophets or teachers, be successful? Absolutely. Verse 2 says exactly what will happen. Many will fall away. This should get our attention quickly, and it should call us to be on guard. What it is saying is, in the midst of their false statements, there will be those that now dishonor God with their actions. And I believe in that statement can also be considered Christians. By untruth, 
by listening and seeing what others do, Christians can be led astray for a time and there profane the glory and the righteousness of God. But true Christians will repent and come back. Apostates will continue in their sin. Because, see, there are those that from the outside would say, you see how that Christian has sinned or is a sinner, especially when somebody in prominence in the Christian community has fallen into sin. What we must do at that time is say and confess we are sinners, but we follow a sinless Christ. Point to Christ, not to us. What is their motivation? Peter says very clearly, it's greed. Well, what can a greedy person gain inside the church? Isn't greed in the corporate sector, in the banking movement, at Wall Street, and all of these other places, government, politicians? Why would we ever think that inside the church would be any different than any other part of the world. Greed is here. And those that are speaking the false truths that would lead us astray are doing it for fame, for fortune, for power, for sexual triumph, for rock star status. All of that is available in the church if they get their way by using greed. I believe even in the midst of this that there are those that would lift themselves up professing false doctrine in the church that I believe that the devil himself is leading to destruct those that are unaware. So if we think about what we've heard, we might think to ourselves, why doesn't God do something about this? Where is he when all of this is going on? Shouldn't he be called into action? Absolutely, and I think verse 3 is a great transitional answer to that. It says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter then takes on the next part of explaining, and he says the certain judgment of of the ungodly and the preservation of the saints, which we see in verses 4 through 10. Certain Certain judgment of the ungodly and the preservation of the saints. The reason that the New Testament writers are so emphatic about teaching sound doctrine to their people is so that Christians live a life that is fruitful and God-honoring. We do not lead a life as Christ is our example to win his favor. Because he has enlightened our hearts, we do it out of praise and adoration to him. Peter has said that heresies introduced into the church exploit the people with deceptive words 
but God brings judgment on evildoers and brings deliverance to the righteous. But I have to say much of what Peter writes about that we will be looking at in these next verses is politically incorrect in the terms of our contemporary culture. Being accountable to God for moral code is not well received then and it is not well received by the pagan culture of today. Peter gives three examples of God's past judgment for sin. He says angels, the ancient world, and Sodom and Gomorrah. The first one, the example of angels, verse 4. We don't know for sure when it is spoken of that the angels sinned, whether it was before the formation of the world that he has in mind, which happened, or whether we look in Genesis chapter 6 and there's mention of angels that sinned at that time. It doesn't matter if we don't know when. Peter says, and we know, angels sinned. So they did do rebellion against God and were punished. And their punishment at that time is they were separated from being around and with God and being an instrument for his use. But in that punishment alone, they continue and to be held, but they will face a greater punishment when the judgment comes. There is another judgment coming for those angels. Likewise, the example of the ancient world. In the ancient world that Peter is speaking about is at the time of the flood. And what was the world like at that time? Violence filled the world. God had said himself that he could not believe the depravity that man had gotten to. We see that in Genesis 6. Marriage was nothing more than a merry-go-round. Sexual immorality was great. And God said that they would be called to attention and be punished for it. People did not care what God had commanded or what he forbid. They were going to do exactly what they wanted to. And what happened was God brought judgment. But they will still face the final judgment. Even though they were proclaimed to be evildoers at that time, there still will be another judgment. And the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. God witnessed their great sexual conduct of wickedness, and he destroyed them as an example of what will happen to the ungodly. Today that truth is challenged to the point where can the, the truth of God's word is said to not apply. Why would God have the authority to tell individuals how they can conduct their own lives? That is the part that today is questioned so greatly. God wants us all to be happy. He wants us to be able to choose what we want in this life. How do we as Christians respond to that? The only th the way that we can about any sin 
or any untruth. We have to look at his word. We have to conduct ourselves according to what he has commanded us. You know, almost 50 years ago, Billy Graham, in an address, which would put it in the middle 1960s, when some of the terms were free love, make love, not war, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That was the atmosphere. Billy Graham, in his address, said, if God does not bring judgment on the United States for our immorality, he must apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're 50 years down the road from there, my friends. People of Sodom and Gomorrah were punished, were put into extinction, but they will still face a judgment, the judgment to come. But there's also examples of God's compassion and rescue of the righteous. We know what Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All are sinners. But we see from what Peter is telling us in this scripture that God removes his people from the midst of those trials. And his first example is Noah. And Noah is called the herald of righteousness. Noah, at his time, in the midst of what he saw going on, was a willing servant to day in and day out follow God's command to build an ark, to continue to conduct his family under God's precepts. And he was found faithful. And he was removed from the judgment that the rest of the world at that time came under. But Peter also then goes on and says, righteous lot is an example. And that one might be a little bit harder for us to think of because if we know more of the story, we think, really? Lot was righteous? But look at what God's word says and what Peter said. If you look at Genesis 19, I believe it's 19, it said that Lot sat in the gate of the city. Do you know what that means? That's where people went that had influence and they discussed the things of that day. He was an influential person in his community. He also, when the angels of God came into the city, went to them and said, no, don't stay out in the open in the courtyard. It's not safe. Come into my house. He was the one that put himself between people that were trying to attack these men because of their own pervertedness, was willing to stand up to them and save them from the crowd. Yes, he did some other things that were not such a great stellar moment. But listen to what Peter said of him and the way that he described him. 
For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. That's what Lot did, conducted himself as. He was righteous, and God chose to remove him and to spare him for the destruction of those cities. But even the righteous will face the last judgment, but without fear. And why is that? Because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. God loved sinners that he would call a group to himself, his own chosen, bring them out of darkness, show them their sin, that we would repent of that sin and see that the one way to atonement for our sin was by the penalty that Jesus Christ paid on the cross, that we would be righteous in God's sight, not by anything that we've ever done, but through faith in Christ and Christ alone. He has victory over the grave. He was the one that paid the price for our debt that we never could. And all those that profess Christ as Lord and Savior do not have to face that judgment. How many of you here today, like myself, have read these words of Peter's times before and not seen the importance of being on guard for false teachers and their heresies, their destructive heresies that will cause God to be blasphemed and lead many to destruction, But all evildoers will be punished and God will prevail. His righteous will be rescued. May we remember Peter's pronouncement to those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and who despise authority. There is a judgment to come. God is the one true authority who will judge by his holy and perfect law. Let's pray. Father, we know that only through the power of your word can hearts be changed. That sinners can come before you and ask for forgiveness. But Lord, we also know that we must continue to seek after the truth of your word. That being redeemed through the power of of your son's atoning work is not enough. That we must be on guard for the truth of the gospel message from those who would use it and pervert it for their own gain. Lord, I ask again today that your word has equipped us, that has not left us the same as when we came in before this word, that we continue to remember that we must be faithful servants out of love and adoration for you, Lord. We thank you for people such as Peter that are willing to stand up among other believers and proclaim that truth 
May we be equipped and willing to do the same. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.